Hello, everyone. This is Gary Bean, welcoming you to the LL Research Law of One podcast, episode number 89. LL Research is a nonprofit dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community. And towards this end, has two websites the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. I am joined today by the usual scoundrels, Jim McCarty and Austin Bridges, along with a very special guest, an old-time friend of ours, Tiffany Malton. In this podcast, we discuss spiritual topics through the lens of the law of one and our own personal experiences. We hope only to offer a resource and provide discussion and not to present ourselves as authorities with the final word on these subjects. Please exercise your utmost discernment while you listen to us ramble and carry on. Uh, many of the topics we discuss in this podcast come from questions sent to us by seekers. If you have a question or topic you'd like for us to discuss, please send it in. You can email us at contact at llresearch.org or go to llresearch.org slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Gary Bean. And this is LL Research's Law of One podcast. Uh, Jim, Austin, Tiffany, are you three with us and ready to go? Yes. Yes. Indeed. All right. So before we get underway with our episode today, I want to tell a little story because I don't get to tell many stories because I don't have a lot of good stories, but I love this one. And I want to record it for, for all of posterity. And that's that I was 22 years old and living with my parents at the time in Northeast Ohio. And there was an April weekend coming up where I had the opportunity to do three really important things. One of which, and the least of which, was to see my then favorite band, Dave Matthews Band, who I still uh, love, of course, but I was pretty obsessed then. And my best friend at the time had tickets to see him play at Soldier Field in Chicago. Um, that's where the Bears play, I think. First 10 rows, two nights in a row in a stadium and uh, free tickets. My other option was that my, I had a cousin that I grew up with who was like a brother to me and he went to jail for two years. I thought wrongfully at the time, and uh, I wrote to him all the time and I went to visit him and I told him, when you get out of that place, I'm going to be there at the front door. Well, he was scheduled to get out the same weekend. And then there was this group um, meeting in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, Scott Manilker had been, been uh, hosting an event called The Time of Global Shift. And he hired David Wilcock to co-present with him and he invited Jim McCarty and Carla Ruckert to be there. And that was happening in Louisville that weekend. I didn't know any of those people really. And I didn't know anybody else that was gonna be there. And I was painfully self awkward. So I had these three choices and um, I felt the magnet to drawing me to Louisville. And that's where fate led me. And that first night, it was a Friday, this event was in a hotel in downtown Louisville. And I see Jim McCarty and Carla Record, And I have been studying the law of one for two years at this point. And they are, there's an aura around them. And um, I see a, maybe, I don't know, 25, 30 other people there in attendance. And 
I had been participating in David Wilcox's then forums called ASC2K. And I had seen a pretty regular participant uh, named Tiffany on that forum. And she had posted a picture of herself there. So I knew what she looked like, but I was a lurker. <laughs> I was way too unconfident to even put my words into writing and post to this forum. And I get to the hotel and I walk toward an elevator and the door opens and who is in the elevator but Tiffany. So I did the best thing that I could do and made a, an immediate U-turn and walked the other way <laughs> <laughs> because I was so nervous and uh, didn't get to meet her that night. And that night I was so painfully like awkward. I, I used to be crippled with social awkwardness that um, I had tears in the hotel room that night because I couldn't talk with anybody and I felt so out of place and I thought I was going to go home. But I somehow I stayed on. And then the next day, Saturday, I was in line for lunch. And Jeremy Wyland, who some may know, and his now wife, then girlfriend, Tasha McKelvey, were in front of me. And Tasha looked around and noticed that I was in the conference, too. And she invited me to have lunch with them. That broke the ice. And I came out of my awkwardness. And I met not only Jeremy and Tasha, but also Tiffany and met Jim and Carla, of course, for the first time. I had actually met Scott and David prior. And from that April 2002, we formed a fast friendship that has endured. It is now 2020, 18 years later. Lots of ups and downs and, of course, personal catalyst that arises in any relationship. But I've seen... Um, and Tiffany's journey, she's seen mine, and we have remained friends ever since. Now, thank you for indulging me with that story, everybody. We're going to get into the actual show now. Good story. Thank you. So, we are here today to discuss KYAYBC, and Tiffany can tell us what that acronym means. I, um, I love that story. It brought me back to um, kind of the purpose of, of KYAYBC for me in my life, you know, which is what was standing out to me even back then, apparently, which 19 years later, I can't believe it's been 19 years. Um, I didn't realize how pivotal this was going to be in my life, but that stood out to me then because Raw was very insistent that 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 was our purpose here, right? And um, and instead of typing it out on the forum all the time, I just started saying instead of know yourself, accept yourself, become the creator, K Y A Y B C. Exactly. Thank you. The raw the quote is uh, from seventy four. 11. The heart of the discipline of the personality is threefold. One, know yourself. Two, accept yourself. Three, become the creator. The third step is that which, when accomplished, renders one the most humble servant of all, transparent in personality, and completely able to know and accept other selves. And uh, Tiffany, coined that as an acronym many years ago, and it's been a very important and central part of her own journey. So we're going to 
take a dive into what that means. And we're going to do so by interweaving Tiffany's own journey. So Tiff, if you don't mind me putting you on the spot, if you could tell us or how you see the know yourself portion of the of that acronym intersecting with your own story or how you see your story in light of what it means to know yourself yeah um sure i think when we're done with this for you to read that raw quote at the end um it is so succinctly obvious what that means to me 19 years later versus the what I thought it meant 19 years ago. And I hope through this, um, you'll see the process of how those words became to mean something deeper and more true. Um, the first, so know yourself. Uh, you texted me this morning, Gary, you know about maybe the fundamentalist Christian upbringing I was in. And I know that Ra and Kuo have talked about, it's hard to know yourself um, in the first part, because when we're growing up and um, specifically, I think in 2009, there was a Kuo transcript about our journey when we're young, when we have p parents or you know people around us telling us and we're, we're born into a system that we choose before incarnation. And um, my sister and I used to joke, like, what if we told children, you know, we were on an island and we told them that red is blue and blue is red. And we used to think, oh, that would be horrible. But we, you know, kind of dementedly were like, let's do that. And um, in hindsight, looking at my life and then looking even at a lot of other people's lives, essentially, some of us are born into places and ways um, from the big overlaying maybe fundamentalist Christianity to a communist system to even a new age system where we are told, you know, and, and given by example, what to believe in, what to follow. And so the knowing yourself aspect, you know, really when you start to pursue it, for me doesn't come in until later um, when I start realizing, I think this is also in quote, when we realize what we're not, when I realize maybe I'm not that, or maybe I don't think that blue is red anymore um, because I saw blue for the first time, you know, which could be attributed to an awakening um, that wait a second, something's a little off here, but when you're so entwined in your identity, your personality of years and years and years of thinking blue is red um, there, there's an intense struggle to, um, figure it out differently, you know, and Quo uh, says, it's simply necessary to find who you are and then be who you are in the most truthful way, the most honest way you can, and all else will follow. But it's, but how do you do that, right? <laughs> That's kind of been the whole journey. And, you know, they say to simply look at each thought, each impulse, and begin to see the patterns of your being. And for me, the core of this journey, and I, I'll, we can get to that more in the accept yourself, is I truly feel that I was given multiple opportunities. My pregame plan with my soul stream, you know, my totality 
in the terms of the law of one, um, definitely gave me distinct in hindsight opportunities to be able to look at the patterns of my being um, and to look at them with love and compassion, to admit when I was judgmental, when I was, you know, cynical, and then, you know, to go after that, to, to learn to accept them. And, um, you know, they also say whatever your incarnation lesson, you can be sure of two things. It's about balance and it's unique to you. And you, they say you do not have your incarnational plan com in common with others. It's a unique soul stream totality they might have planned. Um, you could have planned more love with wisdom. You could have planned the right use of power. Um, but you're supposed to think of your life as an instrumentalist who's tuning that instrument. And, you know, uh, Ra Lutz did that in the quote you read at the beginning so that we can be played and in tune and in beautiful harmony. So the knowing yourself for me was more about what I was not that I thought I was at the beginning. And um, the, the accepting yourself became a much more intense part of this journey. I have um, just one or two questions for you to dive a little bit deeper into your story um, and make it a little bit more specific. And thank you so much for sharing, Tiffany, and just thanks for being here with us. Um, I know of your story that you were raised in something of a fundamentalist Christian background that was fairly restrictive in certain ways and uh, self-negating to a degree. And it was in that context in your early 20s, I believe, that you experienced the catalyst of awakening to your spiritual nature, um, which quickly for you led to the law of one uh, or the larger LL research body of material. And there was struggle there for you to, that uh, took the course of years really, to leave behind that old identity, that old Tiffany and that old world and to really embrace and trust what it was you were discovering and who it was you are. Could you speak to both the difficulty and the guilt in that transition and, and the courage to truly know and honor what you were discovering about yourself? Uh, sure. I want to uh, caveat all of this with something I wouldn't have said during that process, but something I realize now, and that is part of this, um, this whole podcast for me, is I believe that um, whatever our incarnational plan is that we've set up for ourselves, um, we're given many opportunities to learn that, right? And in hindsight now, I believe I could have had a spiritual awakening in that context of that structure. Um, and I think hopefully by the end of this, you'll see why in the know yourself, accept yourself, become the creator. I think the tools are there. Um, and the, you know, we, even when I moved from that, ironically, the law of one, the tools are there, right? But I still couldn't get it. And then we'll move into, you know, where alcohol came in and I finally feel like I got it. And I believe those are separate, were separate opportunities. But yes, for me, going back to answer your question um, with that disclaimer, uh, I did grow up in a, a non-denominational environment and my um, 
my dad and my mom were very strong in that and their beliefs. And um, I was born into that sort of missions environment. And um, from that, I did my best, you know, in my youth to be a good girl and, um, you know, went down to the church altar and gave my life more times than I know to Jesus. And, you know, because that was what I needed to do. And there was, you know, steps to take to do that. And just, I remember constantly surrendering, you know, there's scriptures that here I am, Lord, send me like, you know, not my will, but thine be done all these things, you know, to pour out my life. And, um, at a point in my, you know, late 1920s, um, I met, someone that very shortly after, um, about a year later became my husband and we immediately moved to Australia to, to plant churches there. And, um, and, you know, in that Christian world, there's even, there's, there's separate structures even within that. So we went from a non-denominational environment to where his upbringing was, um, very conservative Baptist. And he, in our marriage vacillated back to, um, a conservative Baptist bent, which is a little more literal an interpretation of the Bible, um, a lot more structured when how a wife should be in a marriage and what you can believe. And um, so leading up to this 2001, I, I wish I could remember how I had the balls to get on the plane and come to that Kentucky conference because I do not remember how I did that. Um, there was, I remember coming home and feeling and knowing I was going to get in big, big trouble. I'd been married two years at that time. Um, but there was a quickening in what I know now to be my chakras when I read um, the transcripts and raw material that I knew there was something there. And um, it was, it was very painful. I remember right around after that, I remember sitting, I think you've heard me tell this story, Gary. I remember sitting on the couch at home with my husband at the time then and letting him know that I did not believe that Jesus was the only way to God anymore. And regardless of what happened after that, you know, um, in the context of, of a marriage, uh, I would have thought for support or let's pray through this or I love you. And it became very intensely emotionally, um, what I know now abusive situation where, you know, I'm in the sword in the marriage, you're demon possessed, you know, Satan sent you here to me, um, you know, burning books and hiding swimsuits and, um, uh, a lot of intense catalyst, um, that I just wanted to love and be there. And, um, I remember Carla at the time, you know, had said almost to the, the point of martyrdom when um, she'd been counseling with me. And, but for me, that moment when I said that, the reason it was so scary, I, I, I didn't expect him to react the way that he did. But what uh, was scary for me is I was sure, even though I thought it, I was sure saying those words out loud that I was um, basically conceding myself to go to hell. And I was giving up eternity to speak a truth that I was feeling. Um, and so does that answer your question? 
Yes, thank you. I mean, there's so much more there to explore, but um, thank you for opening up. I do recall the book burning too. I think so far, you're the only person I know with a copy of a Wanderer's Handbook or any LL research book that was intentionally thrown into a fire. <laughs> um, so I recall that time period and the challenge that you had in really honoring what you were discovering was in your heart because of this, what I would call programming or enculturation or the voices that you had you had internalized inside of yourself, not as a way to limit yourself per se, but because you fervently embraced that path too. You seeker, and that was the model that you knew. So like you said, I can't recall how many times I gave myself over to Jesus. And I remember seeing that strength in you. But then as you, I only met you post uh, awakening or at the start of sometime, you know, I didn't know the Tiffany that was just completely Christian. Um, but I do recall the internal conflict that you experienced over what is true is like, I have this programming inside of my head telling me like you're describing, I'm going to go to hell, but I also have this, this need or this pool, or I sense this light on this other path. Um, is there anything more that you would like to elaborate on in terms of like what it took to honor what you were discovering and let go of um, let go of that internal programming? Yeah, there. I I can give some snippets of it was still. Um, years and years where I would feel guilty reading the transcripts that um, it was Satan. It was, uh, there was some, if there was that old um, feeling that, you know, channeled material is of the devil. And um, I, I mean, it, it, it was years and I, and four years, I, you know, would go through, and I still do, I, I do it almost every morning. Um, I would say at least five days a week, you know, I put in llresearch.org and then I put in, so today it would be 0522. And all of the transcripts Google, Google gives me show up for that date. And, um, and I would do that, I'd read them. I think you remember, I would read them when I was working uh, in Arlington. I would read them on the way in my car while I was driving, I'd print them out. <laughs> and read them and um but there were still times where i felt deeply i'm i'm walking down the wrong path and um but there was still something some truth drawing me forward and and i stayed in in that environment right i mean you know my story i um at one point and i wasn't sure i was going to get divorced at one point some girlfriends were like this is it that was he was out of town one weekend and um they literally, I was on the floor in our, my house crying and um, they literally got movers and moved me into an apartment. Um, and we, we went to counseling for six months or so after that. Um, any counselor he wanted to, um, Baptist counselors and, um, you know, that, that's a different story of, of what we dealt with there. But there was still this need to 
um, I'd made a commitment, right? That it was holy. And um, if, you know, we read in, in Ron in the transcripts that, you know, our, our here we're supposed to love with that expectation of return, right? And I think what's something that is very, very key for me in this whole journey is realizing the difference um, of harvestability and the choice of service to others versus service to self. And then knowing yourself, that magical personality, that discipline, that those are two completely separate issues. I think at the beginning, I'm very, I was very focused on, I need to choose service to others. I need, you know, where's the love in the moment, all of these things. But um, at least in my understanding and readings of Ra and the transcripts, uh, the service to others service to, to self choice is going to be made that it's inevitable. We're going to make it. And the focus and the discipline of our personality, um, once we, we make that choice, I feel like that's when we make the choice, that's the gate opening of the horse race, you know, we're, we're already going for it. And then after that, the know yourself, accept yourself, become the creator, um, helps you refine that choice. Um, but when it comes to, it, it seems like such a long time ago, but it's still with me. I ended up in a second marriage, um, where I felt accepted in, you know, he was okay with this material. He came out and visited you guys. Um, and you know, there was still, there was still me having to hide it, hide it for sure. Um, but I was okay with that. Uh, I felt like I could still be me. And I think this was a lesson of where I was going, where I was presented different opportunities to, you know, KYAYBC. Um, but at the end, and I'll, I'll go ahead and read here. There was, um, a personal channeling that was done and I guess it was 2001, 2002. I don't have the date here, but, um, this, I couldn't find it for years. I remember I found it in 2018 and I called you. Um, and it says the one known as T is in her own processes has encountered a stumbling block that this entity has encountered in previous incarnations. This cannot be seen as that which is correct or incorrect. It is simply her incarnational lesson and her incarnational healing, which at this time she has chosen to ignore <laughs> because of devotion to a higher ideal than the self. This is a tangle for the one known as T. And I did not get that for 15 years. Um, and I think I absolutely didn't read that she has chosen to ignore part <laughs> and for a long time. And, but I struggled. I did remember the devotion to a higher ideal than the self. And I could not understand that. And when we get to my alcoholic journey, there's, there's, a, there's a line in the 12-step program I'm in um, that talks about uh, a higher ideal, like uh, having depth and weight. And I, you know, I thought this higher ideal was service to others or in the Christian world, I thought this higher ideal was, um, you know, humility and, and give and basically in service and in loving and, um, humbling and being saved and, um, and then the self and the self felt 
you know, if then that was that confusion, that service to others or service to self, why would I choose myself? If I'm supposed to be service to others, why would I be choosing myself over this higher ideal? And those, the semantics of those words really got me in a struggle for years and years. I recall, this is a lot coming back to me, <clears throat> this devotion to higher ideals and, and we'll open up the floor now here in just a second to Austin and Jim, but I do want to offer a quick reflection and say, for you, this translated into um, what I think you would agree was some aspect of a martyrdom complex in terms of like, I'm learning that pure love is to give without expectation of return. So I don't need to honor my needs. I need to be the best I can be at the time of your first husband for my husband. And you tried to make this costume fit yourself that did not fit who you were discovering that you were, but you attempted to the best of your ability and to a lot of pain to fit yourself into this restrictive clo clothing because of this sense that I must serve this higher ideal and my needs are as nothing um, to that. And ideal. I, I want to, I want to just, you know, bring back in again that, when we get to the accept yourself part, I still see how if I could have gotten to an accept myself part in that context, it's still maybe, I'm not saying the marriage would have worked or that. I, I still think that my, my lessons could have been learned in that environment um, mm -hmm. because the higher ideal and in the self, it, what's so beautiful in this process of becoming the creator is this, you know, I'll talk about it in a little bit, this paradox between losing yourself but becoming more yourself than you've ever been mm -hmm. and and that is what i believe in my in that personal transcript and channeling for me was what what was being alluded to wow uh, well yeah i look forward to exploring the fruit of that with you and to let me stop for a minute to thank you for sharing your story because jim austin and i tend to be abstract and focus on principles and philosophy and we're not always so personal so this gives a nice human touch to the podcast that we don't always bring to it um so uh, jim and austin rather than me asking a specific question i'll just give a few potential directions that we could head in uh, would either of you like to talk about what it means to know yourself um or the, what the process of knowing oneself is, or share anything personal, or uh, focus on um, what you heard in Tiffany's story. How about Jim? Well, I do have a personal story. I think we all have personal stories. We're all seekers of truth, so it's not a surprise. We all have unique stories too, as Tiffany alluded to. Uh, most of my time in school through college, I um, did what was expected of me, which was okay because I hadn't had an original thought yet. So my dad was the manager of a grocery store that was part of a chain. And it was assumed that when I went to college, I'd major in business and economics and follow his tracks, but I would get to the 
higher stage to begin with and be back in Minneapolis at the home office and be part of the corporate structure. So I did graduate with uh, majors in business and economics. And by that time, uh, it was part of the hippie revolution and I joined and I had a couple of original thoughts. And one of them was, I'm not gonna do this. So I looked for other things to do. I majored in sociology one final year, took all social classes. Thought, nope, I'm not gonna do this either. So then I joined Teacher Corps, and uh, that's sort of like Peace Corps to the inner cities in the US. And I ended up in Gainesville and Jacksonville, Florida, and worked with kids in the inner city. And I said, these kids need more than I've got. They have too much energy, I can't do this either. So I discovered in a book, a resource book, that uh, some of us who got our own classrooms by taking the incorrigible kids, um, how to write how to write a book and uh, and create your own school and in the back of it they had a resource for um, a fellow out in Colorado T.D. Lingo had the Adventure Trail Survival School and he was talking about the powers of the brain once you could remove the blockages that had been programmed into you uh, probably pre-incarnatively uh, that it was a natural function of the brain to forward the consciousness forward into the frontal lobes and for some reason that sounded interesting to me. And so I set up a correspondence with him and ended up going there in the spring of 1972. And what we did on them, we were up 10,000 feet in the Rocky Mountains, 40 miles west of Denver. And uh, it was pretty uh, wildernessy, <laughs> primal nature out there. And we each made our own lean-to at some distant point, nobody could see each other. They were hundreds of yards apart. And we used dream analysis to discover what it was that was blocking our energy and keeping it from doing the natural thing, moving forward into the frontal lobes. Uh, most people uh, had uh, a very long journey trying to figure out what it was they'd come here to do and what it was that were blocking them. But Lingo had discovered that uh, if you let your unconscious or subconscious mind know that you're really serious about wanting to know who you are, that it will help you through dreams and symbol symbols of how there are blockages programmed in your life by your parents. As Tiffany said, uh, you're given a story that you needed to believe if you're going to be part of that group. So once you found out, uh, usually he said there's a handful, and I would say that sounds about right, a handful of pre-programmed lessons or distortions that we come with. And if we work with them successfully, then we can make progress on the spiritual path. And all of a sudden I discovered these blockages. And once you found the blockages, then you did a lot of journaling about them, how you felt about it and what you uh, wanted to do about it. And um, if you could remember specifically that where a blockage was uh, inculcated into your being, then you could construct what he called a neurodrama, uh, trying to get the neurology or the neurons in your brain to fire correctly by reliving the experiences that were actually responsible for programming you as you were. And you chose other people that were there to play different parts. And this time, when it came to the blockage episode that was significant in your life, you did not... Uh, give into it like he did as a little kid. 
not knowing you had the right to stand up for yourself. You uh, cried, you screamed, you shouted, you did whatever was necessary to blow that blockage out. And this was called a neurodrama. So if you did that a number of times and were successful in getting those blockages uh, out, then the brain would supposedly circuit that consciousness into your frontal lobes. And I discovered that that was exactly what would happen. Uh, it was the morning of July 12th, uh, 1972, in the pre-dawn and in the pre-conscious that uh, I felt a click at my third eye. And then also I felt this uh, power of pleasure and um, pulsations going clockwise around my brain. My brain had become a cyclotron. And all of a sudden I discovered I was a spiritual being and that I was here to uh, be of service to others. So once I discovered all of that, I knew a whole lot more about myself. And uh, Lingo's philosophy was uh, each one teach one. So he uh, suggested everyone go out and buy a piece of land somewhere in the country, uh, start uh, your own school like he had there, the Adventure Trail Survival School. So I found myself in Kentucky. I bought some land in central Kentucky and uh, started my own school, uh, Rock Creek Survival School, and um, did that until I met Don and Carla. So uh, that's basically how I came to know that I was not a robot and I wasn't here <laughs> to do what other people told me to do. And I was a hippie. No, no, I was a <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing as a spiritual being. I think the hippie revolution was wanderers coming awake all at once. So I was part of that and I was also part of the Back to Land movement. And that's how I met Don and Carla. And so that's how I came to know more about who I was. Oh, what an incredible time to be alive that you experienced. <clears throat> yeah, I think your experience, uh, particularly the moment the third eye is opened and you realize I'm a spiritual being, it's a, a moment of piercing the veil, just as um, the Tiffany's experience in terms of awakening to who she was, was a, a piercing of the veil. Um, as Ra describes, there's as many ways to pierce the veil as there are entities. Um, thank you for sharing, Jim. Austin, do you have something to riff on? I think I'm going to opt to not share anything at this point because I'm eager to continue with Tiffany's story. I want to hear, I, I've never heard this before, so I'm eager to hear it. And I don't have a whole lot to add. I think both of those stories that Jim and Tiffany told really help to highlight the importance and the uh, integral nature of knowing yourself and why and how. I think that the chapter in one's journey of awakening if indeed one has such a chapter, is a sort of like microcosmic look into what it means to know yourself. Because there's often a before and an after. Who I thought I was in terms of how I was raised and or indoctrinated versus who I discovered myself to be. And it's much like that figurative expression goes, the peeling of the onion layers back there's you peel one back and you discover there's another depth of you underneath and then you peel that away and then there's there's uh, another one underneath that when i look at my own story which i won't go into detail about but i see a person that i wouldn't really recognize today um prior to awakening and it's interesting because i get a little yardstick 
of their old self when I return to where I grew up and I see friends that I went to high school with or family. And um, I recall sometimes people thinking I wasn't me by listening to the way I talk now. <laughs> and they're like, you don't talk that way or you don't use that sort of vocabulary. And I'm like, no, actually, I, this is what I have discovered myself to be and, and so on. But um, yeah, Tiffany and Jim, thank you both so much. Um, do Tip, do you have any more that you want to share bef before we move on to accept yourself? And these are a little bit of artificial boundaries, of course. These all blend together in one's journey. But um, while we're on the know yourself part, did you want to share more? No, I like the way that you, you said that, you know, the awakening maybe is the know yourself part. Maybe know, know, know that I'm not or there's more. There's something more. And, and that is, that's key for sure. Yeah, it, I think it really represents that awakening is a movement from, you could say sleep to what is my actual mission here? What is my service? Who am I? And then the journey of knowing really becomes conscious and the, the individual seeks to consciously undertake it. And it is a journey, as Ra indicates, who is many, many millions of years ahead of us, a journey that never ends. Um, before moving on to accept yourself, I wanted to briefly for anybody considering this question, describe or explore ways or methods of knowing oneself. And um, for me, I just wanted to offer up two. One is, of course, meditation. Meditation is one of the most powerful means of really moving beyond the habituation of conditioned patterning that the conscious mind or the thinking mind constantly loops through and really touching into what is truer within the self and really giving space for that to emerge into the experience, but also undertaking um, exercises of consciously asking the self questions and examining one's catalyst and looking for, a, I think a few things could help us focus in on what it means to know the self. And that includes like examining one's motivations and intentions and um, asking the self what the desires are and what the true needs are. I think those three tend to be a really strong filtering criteria that can help one to dive into who the self actually is. But um, do you guys have anything more, uh, anybody in terms of how one can better know themselves? I do. I think um, a lot of what I have to say of that will be entwined in Accept Yourself, but um, there's a quote that I, I have here that goes with what you said uh, from Quo. The quickest way to discover who you are is to rest in meditation at the end of each day, to go over your day, experience by experience, emotion by emotion, catalyst by catalyst. And when you see that the emotion has pulled you off balance, you look at that emotion and see or say, how do I come to feel what trigger was there under the surface? Mm -hmm. um, and they go on and I'll skip to, you know, it gives you the hint to why you're here for each entity comes into incarnation with an incarnational plan. 
it is not a plan that is predestined. It is a very flexible and redundant plan. And that will kind of lead me into accept yourself. <laughs> uh, the redundancies, yes. Uh, I had a couple of quotes lined up for Know Yourself. I won't read them for the benefit of time and um, in Austin's spirit, giving more space for Tiffany to share her story. And if the listener is interested, go to 5.2 and 50.7. They both offer some good stuff for Know Yourself. Um, Austin or Jim, any more before we move on? No, nope, not for me. All right. And 82.3 speaks to why Ra might say knowing yourself before accepting yourself. So anyway, the next part of the heart of the discipline of the personality, Ra says, is to accept yourself. Uh, Tiffany, does that have any meaning for you and your, your journey? Is there anything you'd like to share about what it means to accept yourself? So <laughs> this is um, the most glorious beautiful part of my journey and the absolute most painful dark night of the soul part of my journey and um you know Cole says acceptance of self forgiveness of self direction of the will this is the path toward the disciplined personality and um gosh the there is uh, some amazing, I guess, uh, paradox and pain um, in this. And uh, they say, we're speaking of people who realize finally that their greatest single endeavor in life is to be themselves. But also, uh, this is such a beautiful quote for where I'm going, is there's a part of the intellect that fears extinction it fears that if the consciousness of love, which is impersonal, becomes more and more a part of your personality, you shall lose your individuality. It is only as you begin to become aware of the deepest parts of yourself, that part that's a servant of life. Um, and that, that transitions a little bit into becoming creator for later. But for accepting yourself, um, I think this is a good part of my journey to bring in. Um, the Roosevelt quote and um, alcoholism. And uh, that this was a pretty intense road for myself. Um, I, I ended up getting divorced from my second husband. And about in hindsight, about a year later, um, I began to drink not like normal, normal other people or ways I had drank in the past. <laughs> and, um, that became a seven year journey and, uh, Gary and Jim have been intimately a part of that at times. Um, uh, and there are, you know, that, that is, that's a, a different part of my story that I'm very active in helping other women. Um, but in the context of the law of one, it's, became what I believe um, as, as a gift, uh, as a, a changing of my incarnational plan to give me another opportunity to get this KYAYBC. And I, I know a lot of women that say they're grateful recovered alcoholics. And I, I didn't get what that meant in the seven years of hell that alcoholism is and was for me at the time. I did not get how anyone could be grateful 
for something that I felt at the beginning and in the middle, I was inherently flawed, fundamentally flawed at a soul level. Um, not trying every single thing to stop, whether it was therapy, whether it was a weekend at a Christian retreat, getting the spirit of alcoholism and demonic possession out of me, whether it was yoga, whether it was meditation, whether it was um, drugs that make you sick when you drink, whether it was treatment center after treatment center, um, there was this drive and desperation, you know, as, as the 12 step program will say of a drowning man. Um, and then everyone who does not understand why you cannot stop drinking and, um, and you know, no matter how desperate, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you will it, um, there becomes a reality where you will drink again. And, and then that there's no choice involved. And that for me, the gift of that for me and accepting yourself became um, a, a really beautiful thing. And the way is um, uh, when you accept yourself, uh, there is inherently all of these flaws, right? You've, you've learned about yourself and in the context of the Christian world, there, there's a process for that, whether it's the Catholic confession, um, whether it's, you know, living by the fruits of the spirit. So you recognize that when you're not in love, joy, peace, patience, and you're in the opposite of those, you know, you recognize it and you strive for these moral and philosophical goals, right? Um, in the context of the law of one, how much does, you know, they talk about balancing, like I just read in the evenings, you look at where I had this strong emotion and balance it, look deeper to where it came from, what your patterns may be. These were all things and um, they were tools I had that were given to me. That, that And when I look at it in the forest for the trees view, I was given the tools to be able to walk that path to balance myself in the Christian world. Um, and I look back through all my journals from when I was younger and um, there'll be blanks of months, a months of blank spots, blank pages. Um, and, and I pick up, you know, three months later at a date and almost always, you know, over the years, I start out that re-journaling, you know, on that date saying, when I am in prayer and meditating, life is better. And not being able to maintain that discipline um, is, is something that became very obvious. And so what I would say the gift of alcoholism is the gift of the um, fearing my extinction. You know, one thing that I noticed in 2018 is I came across this, this lady who has, has changed me prayers and um, I, I totally identify with her and her teachings. Um, but I could not, in the context of these prayers, it was really hard for me to say, change me divine beloved into one. And um, she talks about this too, is some people have a difficulty with that. So change the words. You don't have to say change me because I had this deep sense of, I was created to be this person. I am unique. Like the, the transcripts say, when I am sober and when I am good, um, 
everything, you know, people love me, I do the right things, I'm serving others, um, things work smoothly, if only, you know, I, I am centered and balanced, and that is who I am. And I, accepting, I apologize, there's a plane coming over. In the context of accepting yourself, um, is that, and I do this often, and it took me a long time to, to be able to do this, is to breathe in God or your higher self or whatever you want to, you know, your understanding of that, and to breathe out Tiffany. When I would do that for the first few months, there was that same holding on to, um, wait, I'm, I was created. I came here for a reason. I, I, I could not, it was almost like I'd cough when I breathe out Tiffany. I could not let go of that. And so in accepting yourself, uh, the beauty of that for me is that, um, you know, here Quo says, you've limped along your life long within the personality shell, so constituted until you reach a point in your spiritual seeking where it begins to become clear that you cannot go further without undergoing a process of the disillusion of this personality shell. And alcoholism to me was that gift. And um, I want to just read here. Um, there's the, I remember sitting on the front porch with you in 2017 at Jeremy's house and um, had another round of struggle with trying to stay sober. And, but I had this sense, a very deep revelatory sense that um, where Ra talks about Roosevelt's that this was a gift for me, that I just hadn't gotten something, you know, or back to my personal transcript where it says, Tiffany is ignoring this. <laughs> like, uh, and this, this LL, or the raw quote is um, that Roosevelt did, or Franklin did place the physical limitations of his body on himself. And they had referred in the previous quote, this was to learn the non-abusive role of power in a, in a more universal expression versus the bellicose natures. Ross said, the basic guidelines for the lessons and purposes of incarnation had been carefully set forth before incarnation by the mind-body-spirit complex totality. If the one known as Franklin had avoided the excessive enjoyment or attachment to the competitiveness, which may be seen to be inherent in the process of its occupation. This entity would not have had the limitation. However, the desire to serve and to grow was so strong in this programming. When the opportunities began to cease to do that due to these distortions toward love of power, the entity's limiting factor was then activated. And I had a deep sense, and I'd read this a million times, but of the, this was like my soul team, soul stream going, okay, she's not getting this. You know, we tried the Christian way, this whole generations of her on both sides of her family, you know, this, this seemed like an easy course for her <laughs> to take, to get it right. We tried the law of one way. Okay. If she can't get that, this she's, she just has to balance her personality, the discipline of the personality. Right. Um, okay. Well, she's not getting it. So we got to pull out the big guns. Now uh, we're going to throw alcoholism at her. And the key to the, 
the journey, which is so similar of the 12 step program is to finally know that that person personality shell disillusion, basically um, they reference the bondage of the self and, um, and being in, in my experience, if I was not given something that I could not fix myself, because in hindsight, uh, even though I, I have fixed a lot of things in my life, or even if there'd been a failures of marriage, I've always gotten through stronger, right? Because I put my will behind it. Um, but this was the first thing in my entire life that I could not do. I literally could not stop drinking, no matter how hard I tried. And uh, in this program, it is basically looking at where you're resentful, where you're selfish, where you're angry, where you're worried, um, where you're in fear, which is a big one, um, on a daily basis. And what are your motives there? Um, and, and being willing to surrender and asking God to take away that bondage of self um, so that you can be of service. It says, so you can bear witness to those that you could help of, of the light of God. And I had, I had rejected this program for such a long time and not realized the whole goal. I mean, the last step in this program says having had a spiritual awakening as a result of doing those things, right? which is very similar to the law of one. They tell you meditation. I mean, step 11 is meditation. Um, you know, that is, meditation is the thing, right? And um, I think that uh, I want to go back to, to that Roosevelt quote. There's Quo actually talks about um, Carla that, and I'll read it to you. It says, uh, we suggest that there are many entities who have chosen various ways to change their circumstances if parameters set before the incarnation are not met. In this instrument, for example, there are parameters to be met concerning the amount of inner work done to support her outer work. Again and again, this instrument has come against a full stop, physically speaking, um, the balance having always been regained because the instrument was then unable to do anything but inner work. The opportunity to do to do the work was provided by the illness, and I think it's that's just for whoever's listening that we you know I think there's other parts in the law of one and and the transcripts where it talks about we come in really excited to this life right this is going to be a great one we've designed all this stuff uh, you know just keep throwing it on we can do it we know who we are <laughs> and um, but I think it's also um, a relief and a and a uh, faith in the process that, like it said, that redundancy, we will keep getting opportunities. We don't have to worry what our incarnational lesson is, really. We will keep getting opportunities. Our, the plan will change that we've designed it. So our totality, that the plan will change if we're not getting it. Um, and so the accepting the self for me came to accepting in this really, you know, bleeds over into becoming the creator, but accepting that I was all of these things that darken that light at the same time. And, um, you know, part of that process for me, like I said, it took alcoholism in the 12 step program was seeing where I was resentful at something, but then seeing my part in that or, or 
but was I ever inconsiderate to this person? Was I ever selfish to this person? Taking out the person involved, taking out the situation that caused me my perceived harm, how did I show up? And, um, and, could, I, and could I balance that and, and see the reality of that? And so I, th I think acceptance is seeing the truth of who you are. And um, the reason I say it's one of the most exciting things, but also the one of the most painful is now this becomes for me a joy. It's like, uh, you know, and I work with other women too. It's like Indiana Jones, like archaeology. Like it's to know that you're resentful at the end of the day is now like a compass. Like, okay, wow, I am not being as clear for a light so that the creator can flow through me. Um, but that that was that resentful was a gift. I can clean that up again, right? That dishonesty I noticed in myself and I can balance at the end of the day, whether it's owing someone an apology for lying or or seeing that I was dishonest because in a conversation, because I really didn't know what the real story was and I assumed something about, you know, there's all these levels to that. But it's 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 exciting in a way, because if you get to that point where you can accept that these are parts of you, but they are not you at the same time, they're that personality shell, then there's a, there's a deep peace to life um, that moves into the become the creator. And that was a lot. So I apologize for going on. <laughs> oh my God. No. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. And say the same um i'm grateful for the opportunity of the platform of this podcast because it was like a month ago you were reflecting in a new iteration you know we this has been an ongoing conversation over the years and in the latest iteration you were reflecting along these lines but the podcast gives us a platform for a lot more fullness and comprehensive focus and i'm really grateful for that for my own edification and um, just to riff for a moment on what I appreciated about your sharing is um, that, that lessons repeat. And as the FDR passage illustrates, Quick history lesson for anybody that doesn't know, uh, Franklin Roosevelt developed polio and it paralyzed him from, I think, the waist down, um, even prior to his presidency of the United States. And the quote Tiffany was reading was in that quote, Ra was saying that this, this polio, this paralysis was a mechanism of his pre-incarnational programming that kicked in for him because uh, he was deviating from the chosen path he wanted to take from the lessons that he wanted to learn. He was beginning to enjoy an abuse and a competition with power, and he wanted a more positive use of power. So since he wasn't getting the lesson, then he, this mechanism kicked in. And Tiffany, I really appreciated your bridge to that and you looking so humbly at your own life and seeing your strong, I would say, pre-incarnational programming kicking in. And as is true for so many of us, we get hints and we get invitations about ways to balance and open our heart and kind of get back on track, quote unquote, though there are no mistakes and no wrong answers, of course, but back on track with what we wanted to learn. And if we don't accept those, I think they tend to get louder 
or they escalate until finally we get the two by four against the head, which can often translate as trauma. And in your case, that was alcohol or a long journey of alcoholism, which it's, you know, easy for me to reflect on now, but I've seen the, the absolute gutters that you've been in and the hell, and it's been difficult, insanely difficult for you. And of course, for all uh, loved ones in terms of how to support you and how to relate to you. And your story reveals that there was something in there waiting, or rather there was something in there that was inviting you to learn. And you describe it alcoholism as a state of being a drowning man in desperation and a, uh, a fear of facing one's own extinction. And it seems like, like it ultimately what it did was strip you down and force quote unquote, in a way, force you, I think that's the right word, force you to face yourself in a very humble way and to recognize that I, I, this is true about me. I do have these dark aspects like everybody, of course, but I also have these light aspects, but it's a full like accounting of the self. And I'm, it's really inspiring to hear all that. And I would like to hear if, um, well, rather than <laughs> give the mic over to Austin right now, um, Tiff, do you have a reply? If not, I'd um, just, somebody else. I the accepting the self I feel is like um, the law of one refers to uh, or suggests is a daily activity, right? Um, that's the most efficient thing in meditation and in reviewing of your day. Um, but also when I say it's fun to see it, it doesn't mean it always feels fun, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it doesn't mean your circumstances are fun on paper, literally to this day on paper, if I had to list it all out, it doesn't look very beautiful. Um, my circumstances, right? But the peace from, from that surrender and when we get to becoming the creator is insane. It is, it is something I always felt I was looking for my entire life um, through whatever means and, and opportunities were given to me. Uh, and, you know, Catalyst is an opportunity to have faith and, um, and to believe that there's something in front of you that you're supposed to learn. And when you, you see the Catalyst and then you see your reactions to it, if you see them, you know, again, as a lot of refers to a lot as gifts um, and not fight them or try to control them, because like you said, eventually we're going to get hit on the head by a two by four. Um, then the accepting of yourself in those circumstances um, and the growth in the daily review of that um, will go a lot smoother. Thanks, Tiff. Austin. I think that I'm going to continue opting to <laughs> stand back a little bit. Um, I have a short quote to share only sharing it because I just happened to come across it this morning um, without even trying to prepare for the podcast. It just randomly came across. Um, Nathaniel Brandon, I don't know who he is, said, self-acceptance is my refusal to be in an adversarial relationship with myself. And I think that is uh, sort of highlighted by everything that's been discussed, that it's 
not necessarily that you don't relate to yourself in some way where you can uh, know that there's a better way to act or something like that, but it's not fighting yourself and not treating yourself like an enemy. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I'd prefer to step back up. Really appreciative for Tiffany sharing as deeply and as meaningful as she is. So thank you, Tiffany. Thank you. Jim, did you have more to offer the accept yourself portion? Um, yes. And I do want to also thank Tiffany for her sharing of uh, such a personal path that she's taken and how successful it's been with a lot of work. Um, concerning Austin's little quote there, uh, do not want to have an adversary relationship with yourself. I use that uh, as a means of accepting myself. <laughs> uh, from uh, early age, I had anger at myself every time I failed in a way that uh, upset me. Uh, I remember in the fourth grade, I had a baseball bat and a ball and I was trying to throw the ball up in the air and hit it. And I kept missing it. So I threw the baseball bat through the bathroom window. And that was the beginning of uh, expressing anger at myself for doing what I thought was failing. Now, as time went on, that continued. Uh, once in the raw contact, I had the ability to ask uh, Ra something about that. And Ra suggested that in my particular incarnation, I was attempting to generate more love for myself by programming a lack of love for myself. Now, if any of you are familiar with Dr. Michael Newton and his Life Between Lives uh, hypnosis and therapy, uh, this is called opposites programming. Uh, you program the opposite of what you want so that eventually it does come around. Uh, you, you perform a balancing in your life. So I realized that, but realizing what was going on didn't stop it. <laughs> it didn't cure it. Uh, I was 25 when I had that frontal lobes experience. It took me 43 more years to become able <laughs> to accept myself at the age of 68 after going through so many times of breaking tools and breaking things and throwing them and, and getting my little tirades, you know. The, um, it was August 3rd, uh, 2015. Gary and Trish had just gone on a vacation out west. It was a, Wednesday, it was a Friday evening. I was uh, just about ready to go to bed around 10 o'clock and I was working on my computer. And for some reason, the power cord came out three times in a row. And finally, the third time pissed me off. And I took the cord and I whacked the back of the monitor and broke it. And uh, so my computer was down. And one more time, I had broken a very valuable tool because I was angry at myself. Uh, couldn't keep that, that power cord in the computer. So as I went to bed that night, I was uh, feeling just dejected to the 10th degree. Once again, I'd broken something that meant a lot to me because I got angry and blamed myself for it. And I thought at that moment, as I was lying in the bed, what if I could accept myself right here and now at the pit of this despair, at the very bottom of despair, and all of a sudden my heart started being so fast and the tears started rolling out of my eyes. And I cried probably for about 10 minutes. And at that time I said, I did it. I finally did it. I accept myself. I don't have to do that anymore. So it only took 68 years. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a while. But when you finally get there, it means everything. 
Well, <laughs> that's inspiring. Then I have only a few more decades yet to go. <laughs> I think everything happens in the right time. Yeah. It's just my opinion. And some things take longer than others for some people. You know, I've been kind of a late bloomer. It's on my work on LL's new book called A Concept Guide. Um, I was exploring the, the positive and negative po polarized uses of Catalyst and really zooming in on how Ra describes that for the positive polarity, acceptance is key to the use of Catalyst. And it's just one word. And I, the more I think about it, the more I see how really simple it can be and how I'm not doing it. I mean, there are so many patterns of avoidance or resistance or armoring or pushing away in me that create a lot of suffering. So I've been attempting to work with acceptance by simply making an affirmation of it by saying, I accept this. And it's really amazing how powerful that one little sentence can be when I'm in the throes of my usual resistance pattern, reject something, particularly something that somebody else says or does, and I get upset with them or I feel hurt. And if I just say, I accept this, then it's like it puts space around it all and it allows it to be like this thing happened and it's okay. <laughs> And um, I think in so doing, it is practicing what Tiffany was describing as having faith that what is in front of you is uh, material for your learning, for your growth. It is the best synonym for catalyst, opportunity. Um, and one quick quote to read that also connects to Austin's quote that I it's uh, from 5.2, Ross says, uh, and it connects to what Tiffany was describing too about seeing, accepting the light and the dark within her. The second mental discipline is acceptance, completeness within your consciousness. It is not for a being of polarity in the physical consciousness, aka humans, to pick and choose among attributes, thus building the roles that cause blockages and confusions in the already distorted mind complex. Each acceptance smooths part of the many distortions that the faculty you call judgment engenders. Smooths part of the many distortions. So uh, Tiff, do you have anything more for us on this accept yourself part? Not right now. Thank you. I can really see how your experience with alcoholism, particularly the lesson that you learned from it, really condenses all three components of this quote, K-Y-A-Y-B-C. So moving on to becoming the creator, what meaning does that have for you, Tiff, and how does it intersect with your journey? Okay, so uh, the... Becoming the creator um, encompasses all of it, right? Know yourself and accept yourself. And the becoming the creator will be forever. The rest of the rest, refining and refining, right? For the rest of my life. Um, but what was key to this, and where you said alcohol, 
really brought that um, is that that personality shell um, little self ego that I identified with um, and the just like in the giving up Jesus and feeling like I'm going to hell, like I'm in control of the universe, right? Um, like I know, I know what the plan is so strongly. And just like uh, being put up against something that I could not do myself, which was stop drinking. Um, and then having something happen, which I call a miracle and a lot of women do, um, for the first time in my life, following these balancing steps, um, having the daily meditation and working with others, serving others. You know, they say that we're put, you know, our prayer, our only prayer should be uh, to play the role that God assigns and do his work well. Like, don't even pray for yourself. That's not the right use of will. Which brings me to the fundamental part of Become the Creator for me. I remember sitting where I was sitting in 2018 and I think I had a phone call with you and I was like, I think I've got this know yourself, accept yourself part and it's the becoming creator. I'm right on the cusp of it. Right. And that turned in, this was in the, uh, maybe February, March of 2018. So it turned into another year and a half journey because then, um, you know, becoming the creator, the magical personality, the higher self, the discipline of the personality, all of these things are co-creator. That's, that's a word used a lot in the love one. Um, I, I came to this fundamental weight, but if I'm co-creator, I don't, I don't want the power of my thoughts, you know, all this manifestation, new age stuff. Okay. So my co-creator now, and I, and I can do these things if I know myself and accept myself or, um, wait, what, if I don't, how do I keep my desires out of it? Even though Ross says that we should experience everything that we desire, right? There's that little passage. Um, what if it's not the right path? All of these things. And over, over the course of the last year and a half, I've realized um, that is, and, and with finally in July of 2019, having my last drink, you know, here we are almost a year later, which is insane because <laughs> I couldn't not, drink. Um, it's because uh, of that God doing for me what I could not do for myself, that surrender of me trying to do something, you know, the paradox of that, um, and letting God do for me what I couldn't do for myself is the key to me of becoming the creator. It's that self-will versus will. Like there's so much will in the raw, which talks about, you know, um, the direction of the will is the path towards the disciplined personality, you know? Um, but there, there's until, uh, you know, I have a friend that says until you're on the other side of that re revelation or that math problem, you know, you struggle so much with getting this algebra problem and then all of a sudden you get it. And then you can do like 70 other, I apologize. You can do like 70 other algebra problems because you got, you got that concept, right? Um, there's a quote that says, however hidden from the first glance amongst rightful desire lies the exercise of what we have sometimes called the will. Each surely has experienced that energy of willing something to be so or not to be so. The personal will 
can take part in desire, which distorts desire from natural and even functioning into skewed values and incorrect or incorrectly perceived ways of thinking and processing information. Prideful will as it interacts with natural desires is as the cancer which takes over natural cells. Sometimes when a passion is too dearly or closely held, it can pull to you experiences for which you are not ready. And um, the, the realization of the bondage of self, this personality shell, this, this angst in me to not want to give that out because I didn't want to lose myself. Um, and how, how if, if I'm willing something and co-creating and, and all of that, this um, just how do you do that without, without will? And it came down to the right use of will is what you said, that acceptance. Either the plan is or it isn't. Either our higher self is or it isn't. And if it is, then, you know, the other parts in the law of one says you will not be able to do your service. You know, we all struggle so much with what's my outer service or even what's my inner service. We're, we will not fail to do our service. So if, if this plan is, and we accept what's coming, right? Um, then we, we somewhat lose ourselves, lose our personality shell and becoming of the creator, you know, to me is this paradox of absolutely not wanting to run the show anymore, to not having a self-will to trusting when I breathe in God or my higher self and I breathe out Tiffany, that there's those inner eyes and inner ears that I'm trusting are opening to be able to believe and have a fundamentally deep belief that I really don't know what's going on, even though my will and my pride want to believe that I can control everything or I can, I can see, or I can rearrange it, but that I, I am not running the show. There was a plan. And then when I go with that plan, when I go with that flow, um, then I'm in essence, you know, becoming who I was created to be. And, you know, there's a, a yoga quote that talks about, we get so frustrated, um, when we can't see the light of the spirit or, um, when we don't feel it, and you know the sun's not shining on us but at some point do we realize if we just clean the windows off then the sun would shine in and that's the right use of will the right use of will for us is the balancing um is there's so many beautiful um images through the transcripts about you know we're each unique and we have this stained we're just stained glass windows right and if we will clean up and let the light, you know, our only purpose here is to let the light shine through us as unrestricted as possible. And that surrender, that acceptance of where we are in the moment. Um, uh, there's a quote here that says, certain lessons fixed by the higher self before incarnation are, are fixed by the higher self before incarnation. And we need to experience certain material. We planned this, right guys? So invoking faith simplifies moving rhythmically with our destiny, that flow. 
um, the more you rest and trust in faith, the more room that you give to coincidences to work for you. The stronger your belief that all is well, the more quickly patterns, like you said, will smooth out that you read. Um, so I'll, I'll stop there. I'll stop there. The, the big becoming the creator for me was the complete surrender of I, my will, what I want, and the faith and the trust that what is happening is supposed to happen. And, and to bring in a little personal experience to that, um, I haven't seen, spent any kind of um, real time with my daughter more than 10 minutes or seen her for five minutes um, in two years and almost two years and I'll be two years in August. And that is in any other situation, uh, pre-alcoholism, I would be in a huge self-pity, dark night of the soul. Alcoholism, I would not be sober and I'd be hurting and tornadoing through other people's lives. Um, in the context of the know yourself, accept yourself, the balancing, the becoming the creator, is inherently faith that the creator in me, the one in me, um, has a plan. And that who am I? You know, we're all sitting where we are recording and think of all the circumstances that got us to be at this place at this exact moment um, and all the timelines that had, had to get us from our choices to get here in our lives. And I don't have the mental ability, it blows my mind, to see how just our lives intersect, much less how everything's intersecting everywhere and everybody's individual choices that they're making every split second are intersecting for the course of their lives, for catalysts coming in, for, for God throwing alcoholism in my life, which would affect all these other people's life plans, right? It blows my mind. So if I can just accept that there is a reason that my daughter right now, this weekend was not with me. Can I trust that, that there is a bigger plan? Can I trust in the inherent nature of the creator and the universe that all is well? And from that, that light can shine. And it's amazing when you realize that fundamentally, this personality shell is not doing anything. You know, I've got my quirks, I've got this and that, but when you're connected with that higher self, that to me is becoming the creator. When I can recognize that, you know, God doing for me what I cannot do for myself, that inner me, um, uh, I just want to read this one, this one quote, and then I'll stop. Um, if an entity is aware of the quality of the creatorness or creatorhood that he has found at the very center of the depths of his heart, he is aware that this quality of creatorness or being part of the creative principle is specifically that which is not the surface self. True to the task set before him to know the self and accept himself, he will necessarily and automatically have attained a genuine humility for he has experienced the state of the small self, I becoming transparent before the power of unconditional love as it flows through him. We may say that more deeply and completely the seeker knows himself, the more humble he becomes and humility in the context of what, you know, the Western world, this is not a servile or scraping humility they're talking about. Uh, they do say, and I think this is important, and then you talk about humility in that first quote you opened up with, 
um, that it Ross says it and uh, is this rock? Well, I apologize. I don't know. It is often thought that humility partakes in a low opinion of oneself. If one gazes at the working of the personality shell or ego self, one can see that if there is a low self-worth, there's also a tendency to respond to this feeling of a lack of self by defending against those lacks. We say when we offer our humble opinion, we do not say that our opinion is humble because we feel our thoughts have no worth. Indeed, we have a gift to offer. Um, our thoughts are humble because we know that we are messengers. We are fully aware that the virtue is of what we say is coming through, through us. We, as this instrument, are instruments through which the spirit can play. And our every desire is to tune ourselves so that we may be transparent before the love and of light of thoughts and energies that come through us. You know, this ties into my story with back in the Christian days, it's not I, but Christ that lives in me. In the 12 step, you know, God is doing for me what I cannot do for myself. And, you know, how many times in the, like with the beautiful imageries of the stained glass window or, you know, quote says, let the creator play you. I love that one. And our job is to stay tuned that like to stay in tune. That is my job is to continually balance, accept myself, and then believe that becoming the creator is letting that higher self and that creator play me. And if I stay in tune, the crazy feeling, you know, on the other side of this is that I am more me. I am more this 14 year old girl journaling who I wanted to be and what I wanted to feel like than I, than I ever have been. And in a sense, I am the me I always thought I was, but now I see was operating on the personality shell level. And I'm done. Beautiful. Indeed, Tiff. Uh, thank you. Um, we give the space to Austin for a moment because he's been so kind and... <laughs> yielding his own space he has so many good things to say <laughs> i'm feeling very quaker-like today um, <laughs> uh, feeling the urge still to uh, just allow what's been said to to be like i'm feeling like there's nothing i can say that would improve upon the narrative spiritual journey that we just went on so um i'm just feeling appreciation for being here and uh, listening to you, Tiffany. Jim, how about you? Uh, I would like to second what Tiffany had to say and just my own particular take on becoming the creator is to know that all I can do right now, and which I try to do as much as possible, is to do the Father's will or the Creator's will. And at some point, if it is meant to be, and it is uh, part of the plan, then hopefully I will be able to do the Father's will and will know exactly what it is. I won't have to wonder if I'm doing it correctly. I think right now, wanting to do the Father's will is the best that I can do, and have faith, as Tiffany said, that should it be in the cards or in my particular journey that this will happen, then it will happen. If not, I will be totally happy to continue to try to do the Father's will with every breath I take, every move I make, every thought I think. And 
the faith that all is well and all will be well, I think is what can really carry us to any place that we want to go uh, within ourselves or within the world or within the um, confines of uh, being of service to others to the best of our ability. I think faith is probably one of the top, if you had to choose three words to associate with becoming the creator of faith would be among those three, if not number one. And um, that faith and Tiffany's journey, if I can offer a reflection, definitely I see go back to the beginning of my friendship with her. And I recall, it just came to me as I was listening to you talk, the struggle you had with the question about what is right, what is true. Like I have these ideas that the Christian world has imparted to me. I have these ideas from, let's say, the new age world or the law of one. And I, there was such a, um, a struggle with finding what was right for you. But through it all, through all the vacillations and the self-doubt that had really overtaken you often, there was a faith in yourself, a trust in what your heart was telling you, even if at times that was ignored <laughs> or, or attempted to be shoved to the side, there was a trust. But I was reminded again of what a person of strong will you are, like you said, in telling your story, there's like, there's nothing I couldn't do really in life, or if it's so long as I set my will to it, except this one thing, I couldn't stop drinking on my own will. So uh, to revisit that chapter in your life, it was as if that stubborn self-will, the will that, that, the will that wants to control life or order life or doesn't fully embrace and accept the moment as it's manifesting, that will had to kind of be like burnt out or go, you had to go through an ego death. And the process for you as painful as it was and still is, is such a beautiful encapsulation of all of it. Um, Tiff, I have, if, you know, I get to speak from a standpoint of being a friend right now and the you now versus the you 18 years ago and the you that was in between there, it is truly uh, remarkable to see the, the, the journey you've been on, the, the ship that you took around the world that faced capsizing multiple times and storms and losing your compass and so on and so forth. But nonetheless, you wound up right where you intend you wound up at your destination um and it's really heartfelt to hear you describe as well that one of the consequences of that journey was this separation from your your daughter um the most important part of your life but your trust your your true living i was talking about a statement of saying i accept and what you're doing is, and I see what I see you doing is embodying that. And it's so much more potent when it's something is embodied or illustrated versus just reading a book and talking about the principles. So everything you have to share with us and with the viewers is so hard one um, in your life. And it's such a, one of the creator's gem-like illustrations 
of will and faith and action. And I just have nothing but gratitude to give you, Tiffany. And I want to open up the floor for you to share whatever more you would um, like to share on your journey or what we've been talking about or to any, any listener, if you have a thought to offer. I do have just some closing. We, there's so much out there in life, right? Um, and our experiences in life, um, even within the law of one, there's, there's so many things you watch Don at the beginning go through, you know, the pyramids and all of these, you know, what Ra kept saying, transient material. Um, and those are fascinating, right? And then we each uh, talk, you know, there's, there's much talk about, but yes, we all, we all have a service to perform when we come in. But um, I think the lesson for me has been, and um, the few quotes and just closing it to, to just maybe if anyone's still listening <laughs> and encourage um, others is again, that whole know yourself, accept yourself, become the creator. Um, my story shows that I believe I had many opportunities to get to that um, surrender and acceptance of, of what is, that all is well. And um, I fought those um, to control what I thought was the best outcome, whether that was um, with the best of intentions or not, those things that I tried to control didn't come off so well. Even if they did come off well, they, in hindsight, they didn't really come off so well as the things when I truly just accept what is. And um, there, I was reading a transcript this morning and I can't remember where it is, but it alluded to um, the fact that when it's time to, when you feel attention, then maybe it's time to wait and, and the next steps will be shown. It, you'll, you'll get that. And how do, how do you know that? When you're struggling to get it, it typically is not the right time to get it in my experience. And um, so I just wanted to, to read some, some quotes um, that regardless of what we're doing in the outer, in the outer work, it's over and over and over, you know, said that, uh, for, to, that there's no effort to being who you are. There's only the removal of blockage from the passage of light. And if you can open your heart in the moment, you're doing the maximum amount that you can do to serve the creator and the creation. And this is such a, this next one is such a big quote for people that are wondering, what am I doing? My dad used to say, uh, what am I doing? Who am I? What's my purpose in life? When he lost something. And um, I think we all ask this question sometimes. And uh, this quote is the net result of one who is more and more comfortable with being who he is, that, you know, know yourself, accept yourself, who he is, that whatever the personality is, it is open to the light so that the light can shine through him and out into the world. This radiance of being shall always be the entity's main purpose. I mean, how many times do we struggle about what's our purpose? But over and over, not just in this quote, but in multiple quotes, our being and the radiance of who we are once we KYAYBC and 
being as clear as we can, a balanced entity and cleaning up all of that. And to, to meet that's, it says it's our main purpose, you know, in the balanced individual, the energies lie waiting for the hand of the creator to pluck us. Right. And I think, uh, how do you do that? We can only suggest that the meditative state be used as often as possible in order to return one's own desires and intentions to the proper tuning. And uh, I think for you, GLB, when you were saying acceptance, um, and there's another, there's another part of the law of one that says, I seek to know in order to serve, right? And that is kind of my only prayer for the last year is, you know, let me be an instrument of your will, like the St. Francis at the beginning. But you said to me once, and I've mentioned to this, not recently, but a few years ago, uh, that that acceptance is uh, seek first and let the cards fall where they may. And I think about that often that then, you know, uh, as Jim was alluding to as well, that... Uh, you know, the timing and, and what's in front of you, the, the last quote I'll read is, live as though you had perfect faith, that your destiny will come to you and all that is for you will be attracted to you as it is time for it to appear. And um, that resting in <laughs> all is well and all will be well and what's right in front of me today, you know, like um, if, if God is my director, if my higher self has planned this, you know, let's call it like it's, Martin Scorsese. Um, and here I am and I've got this great perfect scene with this guy in my life and no, he's, we could do all of these great things together. And I've, I've got it all written out. I've got the lighting I've got the right, you know, supporting actors in the background, the best script, right. And Martin Scorsese comes along and he cuts it and throws it on the editing floor. And what do I do? I throw a fit, right? I just wait. Like this is, this is, this is, but if, if, in becoming the creator, if I truly believe that Martin Scorsese has planned and directed my life, aren't I excited every day when I get up to see what this page is gonna gonna be? This plot, what's the next plot twist? Don't I know at the end of it all, it's gonna be the best damn movie I've ever seen? And who am I to think that I know if this scene's cut, that there's not something better, you know, the next scene? And I, I think that's kind of how I look at my life, you know, just let the cards fall where they may and trust the process that all is well. And, you know, they say that things will go ri more rhythmically, things will go smoother. And um, those are words that I read for 19 years and never really got as a, as a deep seated heartfelt concept that when I'm trying to control and run the show, things don't go as smoothly as they do when I just accept and, and let it flow. And I'll stop there. Well, if Martin Scorsese is your director, it's going to be a very violent life. <laughs> <laughs> it already has been. <laughs> Tiffany, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, I'm very grateful to have had Tiffany on the show. She added so much uh, love and determination and experience and overcoming and becoming such a uh, of light to the world. I'm really grateful for you being here. I'm sure everybody that listened to this show is grateful to have heard what you had to say. And if we can just take some of this with us into our daily lives and remember to uh, give over our 
thoughts as to what we really have to do to what presents itself and do it with love and joy. And if we're ever in doubt, just open our hearts in unconditional love. And we can help to bring each other home. Thank you so much, Tiffany. The, um, the journey was very palpable, the narrative story points of your life and how they were so closely connected to this spiritual process. Um, it was very, very potent sharing that I'm really appreciative for. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I've been a student of the Law of One specifically for over 20 years now, and I can quote it front and back. I could write a book, a book about it if I wanted to. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, but it's really, as much as I could speak about it, there's something so much more, um, as Jim and Austin were indicating, tangible and palpable and powerful and illuminating about a personal story. So I can't thank you enough, Tiff, for taking the time out of your life to join us today and to be so authentic and vulnerable in your sharing. You're welcome. I was thinking that um, what a difference from me asking you guys to change my initials in transcripts <laughs> so that the one person that might read it that knew me <laughs> would not be able to discover that Tiffany knew about the law of one and here I am uh, have no idea who could hear this and and not being ashamed of that you're right it's such a marker for growth and with that we will close the show you have been listening to LL Research's The Law of One podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can find more from LL Research at llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thank you so much for listening and supporting this podcast. And a special thank you to Tiffany Malden for joining us today and to Jim McCarty and Austin Bridges for being the great team that we are. <laughs> and if you have a question or a topic that you'd like for us to discuss, please read the instructions at llresearch.org slash podcast. And we love you all so much. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk with you next time.